when we spend time with God, we get influenced by God. Let me say that again. When we spend time with God, we get influenced by God. We need to be influenced by God because this world is going to influence us. Are you with me? And so spending time with God is a huge thing about being influenced here in this life. Because, you know, as we know, and we shouldn't focus this way, but, but it's clear in the Bible, as we see the Lord's coming get nearer and get nearer, we're going to see more darkness in the earth. But we don't have to be overcome nor should we focus on it, but it's kind of like, you know, if you want something not to rot, anybody buy meat, chicken, a turkey for Thanksgiving. If you haven't put that in the refrigerator and you just leave it out, I mean, unless you're aging it or something, you would uh, put that in there so it would not rot. It would not go bad. And there is something to be said about us being preserved when we come under the influence of God. Church does, does that to people. You hear people say, man, I barely made it through the week. And then when they come to church, it's like, man, I'm ready for the next week. But do you know it's not just what happens on Sunday, but we do need to be under the influence of God on a regular basis. If we're not, we, we've all noticed it before, haven't we? I mean, if you've walked with God any length of time, you recognize, um, I'm just not where I was. That doesn't mean you're not loved, doesn't mean God's not for you, doesn't mean God's not on your side. You can just kind of not be driven by him. In other words, his wind is not filling our sail. And you ever know, you ever seen sailing ships when there's not wind? The ship is there, it's just not moving like it should. Are you with me? A sailing ship. And so one thing is when we spend time with God, it kind of puts wind in our sail. It helps us to become in tune with God's heart. You know, that was a term I used to hear a lot when I first uh, gave my life to the Lord and started serving God. People would often pray and say, God, give me your heart. In other words, I want to know your heart. I want to know what you're about. Well, one way that you're going to know God's heart, so to speak, and what drives him is by hanging out with him, spending some time with him. Those things just wear off on people. Are you with me? Hang around with different people. I remember there was a lady, uh, a husband and wife, but a lady that lived down this cul-de-sac when we grew up. And uh, I remember this one person started hanging around with her. And this lady started picking up the same phrases, saying the same things. And I thought, wow, she never acted like that till she hung out with that person. And I don't believe that that person intended to start picking up slang phrases and different things, but she just started hanging out. What she saw, it started to get a hold of her. And I don't even know if she knew she was saying the same things. 
or the same way she was saying it, meaning as the other lady. But there is something to hanging out with God. There really is. And sometimes in a world that's demanding everything should be entertainment and everything should be instantaneous, how many of you know God's design is still true? And in any relationship, you know, people talk about marriage and how, you know, to have a good marriage, you really have to invest. I've never heard anybody say, oh, that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to do anything and it will be perfect. Got quiet. You don't have to do anything. How many of you know the majority of people, I guess there would be others that wouldn't. I mean, and you understand you could tend towards certain things where it doesn't seem like effort, but you're doing the right things. You're doing something to enhance enhance that relationship. But how many people realize that if you want a good relationship with God, sure, you get born again. Sure, you come into intimacy with him and can have something. But it does take some time. I don't mean like 10 years from now. I mean regular time. And when you do that, the things of God will start to get a hold of us. Are you with me? And when I don't do that, then the things that are of God are not going to grip me like they should. And I may have new purposes, things that are good, things that are, you know, not sin. But are they hitting the highest priority of life? Are they driving me toward God things? It's a good question. Because when it all comes down to it, we need to be driven by God. The highest priority needs to be the highest priority. Are you with me? And it shouldn't be just um, a command. Like, do this. You've got to have this as the number one priority. There was a guy that I used to read after a bit, and I would follow him in ministry. And he told about this experience he had. It was about in the late 20s, early 30s, uh, 1930s, almost 100 years ago. God had called him to preach. Gonna, gonna told, you know, you've got to do this. And uh, he did it. He started preaching, but he was doing it not because he had God's heart for it, just because he was being obedient. Matter of fact, he even personally said, I hate the people I preach to. That'd be nice. One time a young girl said something to him, and he spit on her, and literally, he, he writes this, and, and he said, and she said, well, something. He said, well, then you can go to hell. That's a sermon. How many of you know he was maybe doing the right thing, not even doing it the right way, but doing, doing it with the wrong motive and everything? And, but he wasn't driven by God. And one day he was a 19-year-old boy, and he got up in a schoolhouse and started preaching. And uh, 
all of a sudden, God came on him. He didn't even know where he was. He just came into a cloud. And all of a sudden, he fell on the floor. He didn't know he was on the floor. And because all of a sudden, he was seeing people in China, seeing people in Africa, seeing people all over the world dressed in their national garb, you know, the clothes they wore from all the different areas. Now remember, this guy was doing what he should have been doing, but he wasn't driven by a real motive of, man, this is what God wants, this is God's desire, this is God's design. And he saw all these people, and he said they were just going along, and it looked like they were going on. It was First he saw it, it looked like a river, and then he said the river turned into all these people. And he thought, what in the world is this? And he, he just said, what is this? And God actually spoke to him and said, this is the highway of life. And he saw all these people going, and he saw just this little road going off, but masses kept going past. Now remember, this guy's doing God's orders, but he wasn't really driven to do it. And, uh, but this whole thing changed because he had an encounter with God this night. And he said what happened when he had this experience, he even asked the Lord, what is this? And the Lord said, that's the highway of life, and everybody's on it. And he said then there was a little road that was going off, and he asked the Lord, what was that? And he talked about, that's the path that I am to the world to get out of this. And he said then he moved forward, and as he did, this sea of people came to the end and it was like a waterfall and they were falling down into this fiery pit and he said they would scream and cuss and swear and contort and fight but they would fall off and that would there would be a little splash and that would be it and he said what's that he said that's the lake of fire And it's so interesting that after this experience this man had with the Lord, he didn't just do what God told him. He started caring and being driven to make sure people did hear. Because he was kind of, well, it's an obligation. But now it wasn't just an obligation to share his faith and to share Jesus with the world, he realized humanity is in in dire need. And what's so wild is so many times uh, we are taught that we have a mansion awaiting us. I've thought about it. You know, I thought, man, that'll be nice. Doesn't matter how big of a house you have here, how small of a house you have here, you've got an incredible mansion. I've heard people say, well, this is what I want in mine. And you know what? Just how God is, he probably will give it to you. Or what he's got for you just blow you away when you get there. But I've heard Christians talk about their mansion. I can't wait till I get this mansion. But even though these things are true to us, we still need to remember not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody who ends up in hell had to end up there. And I know this may not be a popular 
idea, but it is what Jesus taught. You know, in Luke, it says Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Turn with me to Luke 16, and we'll begin looking at some verses here about the highest priority. And I'm sure if we hang around with God, we get a care for other people. We start caring about the condition of others. And it may not just be for a lost person who's missing heaven, but it could be, you know, whatever need in a person's life. But a real area is lost people. And if I get around somebody who has a certain hobby and it really drives them, you're going to hear them talk about it. You're going to see they invest in it. You're going to see that they do things toward that. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, you're going to notice that. And you know, if we hang around with God, we're going to know that he made an investment in the lost. The biggest investment. He sent his son. He didn't send the, his son, the Bible said, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So our message to the world is not a message of condemnation, but it's a message of rescue. Are you with me? And, and if we hang around with people and we start hearing, you know, of their pursuits and desires, they don't have to purposely talk about it. It's just going to come out. And you know, when we hang out with God, there are things that just have driven Him from, for ages. And it is humanity, and thank God we're part of that humanity, we're the object of His love. But the idea is this too, He is caring for the lost or desiring that they would be saved. In other words, I, I've talked to guys, I don't really watch football, but you get around some people and they'll start talking about football. You know, I, I was talking to some people last week after church, or the week before, and they were talking about hiking and camping. Well, I like to hike, I'm not a big camper person. But you get around people and what, is, what they enjoy and what they have as like a hobby or whatever comes out. These things come out of God. The lost. Are you with me? I am convinced by personal experience and, and in the Bible that uh, these things as we hang out with God will just come out in our life. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, that the love of God will compel us. It will push us on. In other words, it will influence us toward lost people. Are you with me? There are lost people all around I've heard some people say, well, we'll just wait till there's a big revival. What if there is a big revival? But what if it's one year away? 
What about those people who need something now? What, what if it's five years away? What about all those people that need it now? What, what if it's ten years away? These are just thoughts. But let's look at this. And uh, we're not trying to frighten any believer. We all should be thinking, wow, it's awesome. We're going to heaven. But one thing about having priorities in order, so to speak, is we do realize not everybody is where we are. Not everybody is going where we're going. And given a chance, God would work with us and those people would not want to go to hell. Are you with me? And so Luke 16, and we're going to begin reading in the 19th verse. And I think this is such a fascinating set of scriptures. It says, there was a certain rich man. How many of you know if the Bible said there was a certain person? then it was a certain person. Every time Jesus taught a parable, he would say, now learn this parable. And then he would say, learn the parable of the fig tree, learn the parable of the sower, learn the parable of the tares. And he went through and said, learn this parable, and this is a parable, and different things. This is not a parable. This is some observation that he got from God, or maybe he had a vision. I, I don't know what it was exactly, but or whether he was told this by God, but it says, there was a certain rich man. So this was a real rich man. I don't know what made him rich. I don't know how rich he was, but there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. So that would be like name brand back then. And purple, certain colors were expensive. Today, we might look and go, oh, well, there's this brand or this brand, and it's real expensive. To say purple, that was it. So this guy had money, and he fared sumptuously every day. Now, that's a word we all use all the time sumptuously well of course he was rich if he was sumptuously fared <laughs> whatever that is it's a big word but I mean he just had whatever he needed every day verse 20 but there was a certain beggar Name Lazarus. So you see somebody with this massive supply who's really rich, and now we're talking about another person, a very certain person, not a parable. So these people, at some point, were on the earth just like you and I. They lived, they did their thing. You know, we might be in the middle strata of finance, you know. We're not poor, we're not rich, you know, medium income. Well, these were the top and the bottom. And they really lived here. And it said, and his name was Lazarus, and he was full of sores, who was laid at his gate. 
so now we know this guy lived in a gated community or a gated home. No offense if you live in a gated community, but this is like a gated home. Just this is it. And this beggar who has, I don't know what kind of sores, but it kind of elicits things, you know, when you start thinking about somebody who's homeless, who lives on the street, who's got sores. I mean, if you've ever done work, been around those types of people, you realize there are people just like this who live on the street today. And he was full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So, you know, you just think of these wandering packs. This guy was not uh, real defenseful, not real active if the dogs are just coming up and licking him and he's begging for crumbs. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades or hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, just to give you some understanding, before Christ died and rose again, people couldn't go to heaven. They couldn't go to heaven. Because the way to heaven had not yet been made. Heaven is for people who have been cleaned and washed by the blood of Jesus. Well, he hadn't died yet, so there's this place called Abraham's bosom or a holding place for those who died in faith and died a certain way. And they're waiting for Christ to die and you can read this in the Bible. It said when Jesus died and ascended into the earth, it said he took a group of captives and led them out. This is that group that he took. And then he, after he had ascended and presented his blood, made the way, it even said these people came up when Christ died and wandered the earth. And people saw these patriarchs and then they were taken onto heaven after Christ offered his blood. And so this Abraham's bosom at one time was right across from the holding place where people die and eventually will be thrown in the lake of fire. Both are eternal. Both have no escape. Now for us, we think, that's awesome because who wants to escape heaven? But none of us. But that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to realize these are real things. People go to both places. We know that those who have received Christ do have a mansion. Do have an eternity with God. And we should be glad about it. But at the same time, we need to realize, too, that there are other people and not everybody is going to heaven. And I'm going to say this, and I know sometimes people may not like this, but you see somebody die, and, and then everybody said, well, 
they're in a better place. If they're saved, for sure they are. You know, not because they live perfect, you know. Well, my uncle received him, but he, he received the Lord, but he lived... Per- no, he'll make it because you don't get there by your works. But then everybody, it seems like, well, he's in a better place. It's good for us to think clear on this. Are you with me? It's good for us to think clear. It's good to not give excuses where there shouldn't be one. Honesty is a good policy. Remember, that used to be a statement. Honesty is the best policy. But then you'll hear this type of statement too. You never know what they did before they died. Well, there is truth in that. But there is another thought that often what people are to do before they die is contingent on somebody telling them. I remember I had got out of Bible school. I went back uh, to California. I went to work uh, uh, for a friend of mine he he had asked me actually to be a partner in his business. I said, no, I'm going to go in full-time ministry. Uh, I should have probably taken him up on the offer and then got out of the business and gone into full-time because I worked for him for quite a while. And um, he said, yeah, I'll hire you. Here, just go get this, do this, and show up on this job. So I remember I show up on this job site uh, and uh, I'm new, and I just get out of Bible school. So I'm ready to take on the world, but not this way, working. And I remember walking up and seeing this one guy, and he was the boss on the job, and he wasn't real friendly to anybody. And he saw me, and he was kind of, uh And I said, I was wearing shorts. I still remember. He said, you can't wear shorts. He said, how in the world did you get a job here? I said, well, I'm friends with the owner. I thought this is a good time to pull that out. Oh, oh, okay. Bring him down a level. And he said, well, you can't come on this job site because it's a big commercial job site in shorts. So I said, I'll go somewhere and get some pants then. And so I did, and I came back, and I remember, here I am on this job site the, like, first day, and he said, this guy, this is Al, you'll be working with him, and Al was across this building, this big commercial building, and up comes Al walking around the corner, and there's people all over, and this guy is like, and he, tattoos from his neck down, and he comes walking up to me, and I, I still remember thinking, wow, thank you, Jesus, Bible school to this. <laughs> Serious. And I was right away drawn, because he had tattoos all over his arm, and right here, it said Capone. And uh, so if you know Al Capone, 
his gang name was Capone and his arms are big. And uh, we start working. He said, come on with me. And so we're working away. And he is griping to me about the disrespect in the gangs for elders. I thought, this sounds like the world. You know, the young gang members don't respect the old ones, you know. And I'm like, what have I gotten into, Lord? You know, when I left Bible school, I was going to go do this. And these big, grandiose, whatever. And so we start talking and uh, we get done the next day. Now it's a full eight-hour day just with this guy, Al. And so I'm working with Al and uh, all of a sudden, you know, there's an opening to talk about the Lord. And I remember I was on this ladder, this eight-foot ladder, and I'm talking to him about the Lord, telling him about Jesus. And, uh, and I recognize, man, there God is working with me. This is like church on, on a construction site. And I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 50, 100 people there working different trades and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him, and, and, and I said, have you ever felt like God was talking to you? And he looked right at me, and he said, right now, in stereo. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come down off this ladder, I thought. I'll come down. We'll have church right here. We'll do the altar call. I said, I'll come down right now and, and, and I'll pray with you and God will, will work in your life. And, and he said, no, I can't do it. He said, I just can't do it. And, and I said, well, why? He said, I just can't. I've got to straighten some things up. Nobody spoke to me. Nobody told me anything about this guy, but instantly I knew he's addicted to heroin. So in my lightning fast mind, I said, well, you know, in fishing, you catch the fish first, then you clean it. All you have to do is come to God. He'll take care of everything. He said, I never fished in my life before. What in the world are you talking about? And I'm trying to explain fishing to him, and it's getting all muddy. And uh, I said, you just need to obey if you really believe you're hearing. And, and he said, he said, he said, you know what's wild? He said, um, out of the blue, this exact same thing has been happening to me. He said, there was a guy I hadn't seen in years and years, and he said, I was at this, like, taco stand. And this guy just came up and just started saying, man, I really feel like I'm supposed to talk to you about this. And he said, it was like this. He said, God was dealing with me. He said, it's happened like three or four or five times just recently. And I'm like, you need to give your life to the Lord. Then I worked with him the next day. The same thing happened again. God's moving. As a matter of fact... I got real puffed up. I remember going home that day because I told him, you should pray. And I remember going home that day thinking, wow, God, you were really moving. That was so awesome. Man, I was like, better than church. Man, you were working. 
and that was awesome. But one thing he said to me was that day, and I was just kind of thinking, and I knew God was really trying to get this guy to give his life to him, to surrender. Don't worry about what you're doing in life. Don't, and, and we shouldn't try to straighten people up. And after they get saved, don't straighten them up. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do, let them do it. God will straighten them up. Are you with me? And uh, so, but I was kind of caught up in the things he said and just, and really in how God was working. One, that he was working like that on a construction site and that he would do that. And the other was, this guy said, you know what? He got real sober. He, after one of the times he said, just, just people keep coming to me out of the blue. And he just looked right at me and said, he said, this one guy I know who, who I party with and hang out with, he told me, it doesn't matter what you do. If you die, you'll just go to heaven. And he told me, he said, I looked right back at him and said, he said, no, that's not true. He said, somehow I know if I die, I'll go to hell. And I remember him telling me that, and I thought, wow, God is really trying to intercept this guy. And uh, I didn't really push, you know, come on. You know, I just kind of let it go. And I remember driving home kind of in my own world, like, woo, you know, I'm going to heaven. God's trying to work on this guy. And there was a real urgency, but I didn't push it. And I remember that night, the owner, because we were friends, he calls me like at nine o'clock. And he said, um, he said, did you work with Al today? Because we have multiple job, uh, construction sites. And he said, you work with Al today? And I, and I said, yeah. And um, he, he said he was there. And I said, yeah, he was there. And they said his wife called and nobody can find him. I'm not... Yeah, he, I said, he was there. I said, I actually worked next to him. And then he said, okay, well, I, I, I got to go. And about 45 minutes later, he called me and his whole demeanor is different. He said, you're not going to believe it. I'm like, what? They found Al dead. I said, what happened? He said, well, from our understanding is, Somebody sold out some heroin. They were shooting up some stuff. I think they were doing more than just heroin. And uh, he went into convulsions. And, and the guy that was with him was in the passenger seat, ran around to the driver's seat, pushed him into the passenger seat, drove him to a grocery store, uh, stole his radio, and walked away. And he died right there. And I was like, ugh, from praise the Lord. The Lord was so working on me, working, whoo, hallelujah, to a man that had just told me that day, if I die, I know I'll go to hell. But he said, I just can't come because I got to fix things. And I told him, no, God will fix things. And then, then the owner said this to me. He said, 
well, you never know where people are at and you never know what they do right before they die. And I said, that is not fair to say that. I said, he told me today if he died, he'd go to hell. Okay, could he have called on the Lord? Sure. But if you're doing drugs and all of a sudden you're ODing and your heart gives out, is that what you're thinking right then? Oh yeah, what was it that guy said to me today? Say this? All I'm getting at is there is a heaven and there is a hell. And, um, you know, I wish I w had always done good. Now, I've done good and led a number of people to the Lord, but I remember one time I was going to see my great-grandmother. She was almost 110, I think. And um, she, was, she was up there. And... Uh, I went into this retirement home and they said, you know, it's not going to be long. And I remember walking out and there was a recovery thing. So they had people in there of all different ages. And, and somebody said, hey, did you see Steve so-and-so? You were in his wedding when you were a little kid. You were the ring bearer. I said, I remember him. So I remember walking by and he was probably in his 40s at this time, maybe 50s, early 50s. And they said something happened. He had an infection. He was sitting up in bed, and there was a couple nurses around. And, and I guess he had got gangrene, looked totally fine, and God dealt with me. You need to talk to him. And I remember looking in the door thinking, ah, oh, there's all these people in here. I'll come back later. He looks good. I mean, look like, why are you even there? I remember leaving and God was dealing with me, and I just kept saying, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it, I'll come back. Man, I didn't have time to come back, and he was gone, and he looked great. All I'm saying is, God knows there are people out there, we are going to heaven. We'll have a party, it will be awesome for eternity. But we shouldn't forget that not everybody's going there. Let's look at this. Everybody Okay. These are things to remember because when we do remember, I mean, I've had experiences that are just downright awesome. I remember one time I was doing a Cinema Star Theater and uh, there was just problems. And uh, the crew was, it was like a cat fight. And I straightened out some stuff and I'm the boss and I just said, I'm going to eat. And it was, you know, in a shopping center. So the center was developed. It had been just opening. But the, the theater was not open yet. And uh, so I said, I'm just going to walk over to this Taco Bell. And I remember some of the guys said, oh, we'll go with you. I said, no, you won't. Because they're all fussing and fighting. I thought, no, I'm going to go eat my chalupa or whatever they're called, you know, my tacos, whatever, in peace. So I remember walking over there, and they're like, you're not going to let us go with you? I said, you guys need to straighten stuff out. So I walk into to, uh, Taco Bell, get my food, and as I'm walking out, there is an older gentleman, and he's quite 
quite frail and he's got like a not not the full size collie but dog but the small one and he's there eating his food and the Lord dealt with me to talk to him and the Lord said this to me literally inside lead him to me so I said hey you know and introduced myself said I'm working over here and he said oh I live right across the parking lot and uh, so I start talking to him about the Lord and he got all teary-eyed and he said, I just lost my wife. You know, I live in this retirement home over here. And, um, and he said, thank you for sharing this. And I told him, here's what you do. Here's how you receive the Lord. And I said, you'll pray that prayer and accept the Lord. And he said, I'll do it. I said, you'll do it when I leave. And he said, the minute you leave. So I went, cool. So I stood up, had my food, went to walk off. I stepped off the curb and the Lord said, I told you inside, clear as day, lead him to me. I said, I just told him what to do. And, and he said he was going to do it. And uh, so I said, I know he prayed because he said he would. And I walked away and I kept walking. The Lord dealt with me. I, he said, I told you. And I said, well, I'll prove it to you. So I went back. I said, sir, I don't mean to bother you. But um, you said you were going to pray that the minute I walked away, right? And he said, yeah. I said, did you pray that? He said, no. I, he said, actually, I forgot. All right. I said, all right, Lord, you were right. So I said, do you mind if I pray that prayer with you? And he said, sure, let's pray. So I sat down again. Talked to him, we prayed, looked up, he's crying. He said, this is wonderful. He said, you know what? The doctors told me I only have a few weeks to live. They said, I've got this problem. I remember when I walked away, I thought, oh God. And he said, this is the greatest thing. I said, you don't know what happened, but knowing that he was going to die, I said, but real soon you're going to know what this was all about. And so I don't want to leave you with just a bad one, but, you know, they're all going to hell. No, but we have a chance to ransom people. Are you with me? Let's go back to this story. Abraham, his bosom, rich man, Lazarus. Verse 24 and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember. So in this place, you can remember things. That you in your lifetime received your good things, but likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You know, a side thought, guarantee that this guy had no clue that there was something bad after life. Or if he heard about it, there's no, I, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, there's no way he could really have believed it. Because you wouldn't have done what it took to get there you would have done what it took to keep you from going there. But now he's there and he knows it's real. Now he's trying to get out of there. And it said, 
he said, you can't. Abraham said, son, remember you, verse 25, in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus his good things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Verse 26, and besides this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Somebody might say, why would somebody want to go from the good side to the bad side? Because they were calling out to them to get some relief. And so they were thinking, maybe these people could come and bring us some relief. If we can't get there, maybe they can get here to help us out. And they realized these are eternal places. There's no way out of one or the other. I think about that when people die, and I know they know the Lord. I think, praise God. God, there's no way out. To me, that's comforting. You know, if somebody does something here, that would be one thing, but there you can't. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father or Father Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house. In other words, if he can't come here, and bring me relief in this place, which he obviously didn't realize the reality of this place, or he would have never gone. So he said, okay, if he can't come here, he's remembering he has loved ones here left on the earth. And he said, for I have five brothers. Send this guy. If he can't bring me water, have him go talk to the five brothers I have that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You know, growing up, I had friends who were friends with their brothers, and I had friends who were not friends with their brothers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know if this Lazarus was friends or enemies with his brother when he was on the earth, but when he was there, he was super concerned about where they ended up. He wasn't concerned when he was on the earth. But now that he knows the reality, he is very concerned. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him or them. Basically what he was saying is they have the scriptures. Let them hear the truth that's written. And he said, No, Father Abraham... For if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. This is such a powerful statement. He basically said, this, this happened when people were like us sitting around. What are they talking about there now? Because there, there were conversations then, there are conversations now, there are conversations in heaven. And he said, no, it, it, no, if you would just send somebody who, who's here and they'd have this vision, they would repent. And he said, no. He said to him, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, you could say this, if they don't believe the Bible, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. 
I had a friend when, when I was growing up and I heard this story. There was these identical twins that lived up the street. They were my parents' age. And both of them lived in the world and were wild party people. Both of them were married. And uh, one of them had uh, been in, gotten into a car wreck. If you're familiar with the 57 freeway that runs in Southern California, Orange County, L.A. County, runs toward Disneyland uh, in that area, there used to be a section that wasn't open in this area called Brea Canyon. It was a real windy road, and I believe it was in there. This person got in a car wreck and ended up in a coma, and the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And he was in his, his mid-twenties, and the Lord said to him, you need to give your life to me because there is a trap that has been set and you will die before you turn. I think it was like 29. He came out of the coma. He told the brother. He told his wife and told his wife's or his brother's wife. And he said, I hadn't experienced Jesus appeared to me. These guys are all party people. They're all alcoholics or drinkers, heavy drinkers and kind of violent, and uh, they said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm not doing nothing. I remember this as a kid, and, I, and, and hearing about it later on. And uh, they said, what do you mean you're not going to do anything? He said, I'm, I'm not going to do a thing. I'm just going to live my life. Before he was 29, he was at a bar where there were some bi bikers right before and uh, he started hitting on this girl, not with his fist, you know, making passes at her. And the biker guys didn't like it. And they took him outside and they killed him. Basically shot him up with a syringe and like battery acid or something like that. And the guy died. The Lord told him, if you don't do this, this will happen. But he had a vision. Right here it said, though one come and you have a vision, he said, they won't believe if they don't believe the truth of the word. And in other words, there is power in the word to make things real to people beyond a vision. Now, people can have a vision in turn, but it tells us here the priority or the way God uses is for one person. Let's close over here. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. The priority way that God uses is humans telling people. He works with people. That is the primary way. He wants us to reach people. And if people will get a hold of God's heart, it will be something that we'll recognize that the state of every human is not good and they need the Lord. And some of the worst people probably could become some of the best people. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse, uh, we'll read verse, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, he paid the price to get us back to himself.
And he has given to us the humans reconciliation. In other words, God paid for it. Now he uses humans to get other humans back into fellowship or into good standing with God. It is God's design. This is his design beyond division. But in our thinking, or at least, you know, maybe the way I would have thought years ago, oh, if I would just have a vision, that's what it would take. But verse 19 says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or literally adding up and holding their trespasses to them. In other words, God paid the price. God's not angry with the world. He's paid to set them free. He's not angry at them. He's not angry at you. You know, he's not not angry at the world and then angry at you. No, he's not angry. He paid so people didn't have to go there. But he has committed to us this ministry. Who has God ordained and anointed for this ministry but humans? He's committed to us the word of reconciliation or the message. What's the message? God's not angry. God's not holding things against you. God's paid for something for you if you'll receive it. Notice this. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors from, for Christ. Isn't it? cool that he used that term like an ambassador is one from another land who does work in a foreign land well our residency is in heaven our citizenship is there the bible said now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us god doesn't primarily plead through a vision god pleads through human beings that's what was happening to that guy al that day the only way God was going to plead with Al was he was going to get me or somebody else to plead with Al. Just like those three to five other people who he said, yeah, he was speaking to me in stereo then too. What does it mean? God was pleading through others too. Here's what God was saying. Be returned to God. And then it goes on to share how God became or Christ became sin so humans could get back in good standing with God. The very last part we're going to read here is 6.1. It says, we then are workers together with him. Notice we don't work for God. He doesn't work for us. We work together with him. He gives the heaven sound to our message. He gives the stereo that Al heard to your voice. He gives the thing that resonates in another human beyond natural words. In other words, I could say something to somebody and order something at a restaurant and those words are gone. The lady doesn't remember anything other than she wrote it down. A day or two later, you were just another number seven on the menu that ordered that, and that's gone. But words from him will stick in people. They will stick in people. They'll resonate beyond just our natural talk. 
So God's actually depending on our voice to work with us.